Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and it's a momentous weekend. So momentous, in fact, that we don't have room for three guests. Uh, We only have two, but we have two really, really good ones. We have Alison Rudd and Rory K. Smith. What happened this weekend? Well, as you probably know, huge games all over Europe. Arsenal and Manchester United in the Premier League. Jose Mourinho going on a a remarkable seven-minute-plus rant. And, of course, Brendan Rodgers looking to bring now his talents elsewhere. Ordinarily, we start talking about games uh, at the top of the show, but Rory was breaking ball so much that... Roy, do you have something to say about Brendan Rodgers at the top of the show? No. And we'll come back to this later. I think that it is a, it's, it's a significant day when what remains one of the biggest clubs in the country sacks their manager after eight games. Some people might say it was after three years uh, and eight league games. Eight games but, of this season. But yes. Alison, do you want to weigh in or do you want to hold your powder for later? It's big news and it's weird because in the matter of hours I've shifted my um, anger at what's happening at Liverpool Football Club from Brendan Rodgers immediately to the Fenway Sports Group. So I'm still angry, which is a bit annoying. I will be asking you to explain that. Here's a taster then of what's coming up uh, later. Uh, But first, when you've got the biggest club in London hosting the most famous club in the world and it's all about big, 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 we need to start there. Arsenal come out of the gates about as quickly as they could have. Two goals inside of 10 minutes, then a third. Alison, are you surprised? Not at all. We've seen Arsenal do this in the past. I was I was slightly surprised that Theo Walcott said it might be the best I've ever been a part of because I have seen Arsenal do this before. Um, they, have, they have some exquisite players in that team. I know Roy's a big fan of Sanchez. I think we saw him at his best. Uh, it was beautiful, but it wasn't. You use the word surprise. It was not a shot because we all know they're capable of this. And what makes people cross with Arsenal is that they don't do it more often. Perhaps more surprising to people might have been that they they had this splurge of beauty, and then went quite sort of ordinary and defensive and sensible to protect it. And that was to me slightly more surprising. Well, I, I think that's a great point about Arsenal turning sensible and protecting it afterwards. But I'll ask something: Should it? They also not really be surprised because actually it's not that different from what they did against Olympiacos. It's just that then they made stupid boneheaded mistakes and lost the game. And in fact, generally, when Arsenal lose or underperform, it's not generally because they play badly. It's because they do stupid things. Yeah, that's definitely true. There is a, there is a, a thread that runs through all of Arsenal's sort of significant setbacks in the last few years, which is that they are largely to blame themselves. I'm going to quote the the, the wisest Irishman I know. On this, which is who is Miguel Dunphy? Miguel Delaney. He's only half Irish. Half you don't know Irishman. if the wisdom comes from the Irish bit or the Spanish bit. But he said he said he tweeted the other day. I think it was actually before the game. Said that the the thing with Arsenal is that they always have the same season, which is true. It is always the same season. But what's more remarkable, as Alison alludes to, is that they vacillate so much between extremes during the course of that. So in the course of four days, you can have Olympiacos, which I was at when they were. They kind of started okay. But they they were really really sort of foolish and poor. But and they then, did enough to win. They did enough Except to win. Except they lost. Except they lost. And then then you have this United performance, which is which is perfect. The thing that's I think crucial with Arsenal to remember, I thought they turned a corner after they beat City away last season. I thought that was the that was the moment at which you thought right, Vendor's finally worked out. He has to do things slightly differently in certain in certain games. Very conscious that Arsenal can sleep through any number of wake up calls. Dare I say, could this be the year that we see an Arsenal v City title race? Could be, couldn't it? 
I mean, it's. I mean, let's think how it might pan out that they go out the Champions League even sooner than they have done in the past. They have no more distractions. They don't get as far. Well, the Europa League might be annoying, but anyway, they get. They have limited. <laughs> they're going to finishing last in the group. They won't have to worry about. The so if Europa they can, League. if they can avoid that as well, the normal rivals are stuttering. Even City have stuttered. Mm. Then maybe in the same way that people said to Liverpool you know this is your moment this is this you know you haven't got any other distractions go for it maybe it, this is their best chance because I do think that their desire to do well in Europe has held them back in the league in the past percent chance Arsenal are champions 25 I want to talk about United because obviously when you're 3-0 down after 19 minutes it's I don't want to make the whole crack about who's ever going to come back you know who's ever seen anybody come back from 3-0 down because we all have but Crystal Palace. Exactly. You're 3-0 down. <laughs> that's that's why I was thinking. Uh, you're 3-0 down. You're at the Emirates. You've been blitzed. Your defense is, is really, really struggling, I thought. Damian, of course, coming off at halftime. Uh, Daily Blint. I, I said this before when he was playing well. I'm not sure he's a long-term solution at centre-back. Isn't it funny, though, that everyone thought that Daily Blint, and you're absolutely right, the problem would be that oh, he can't deal with physical strikers. And he struggles against Theo Walter, Alexis Sanchez, Mesut Ozil. Funny, isn't it? Football. Funny old game. Yeah, I, I, some of us also pointed out that he's not exactly he's not the either, most athletic yeah. and dynamic guy back there. But since part of our job is to second guess, I wonder what, what Funhal could have done differently, maybe even going into the game. I and mean, you can make the point that you know he could have started Schneiderlin yes. in midfield. That's the obvious one because Schweinsteiger, Carrick, very skillful, but quite ponderous away from home. Also basically but, the same player, Schweinsteiger and Carrick. They kind of, oh, not the same player, they have the same strength. Yeah, they have, yeah, because also because Schweinsteiger isn't the athlete he was before. Mm. But what I wonder about, though, is it wouldn't really have made a difference because they, they still would have gone those two, three goals down. Not necessarily. You think Schneiderlin would have stopped the first two goals? Not necessarily, but he, he might have done. You can't, you, we none of us know what would have happened in an alternate reality. Gab, that's what makes life so thrilling. But realistically, when... I think Schneiderlin would have given them a, a better chance of being solid in the middle, yeah. And I'm wondering about this because I, I, I don't want to have these highs and lows about United uh, because many of us were praising them last week. But you look at this, and I thought Depay had a really, really poor first half, which may explain why he came off. I thought Darmian had a bad game, but you know, maybe he'll be okay in the long term. And I go back to this, and are they really that, that strong, or is this actually a work in progress where... I've you know. seen United three times this year live, and I genuinely couldn't, the only team, I genuinely couldn't tell you whether they're any good or not. I have no idea. They baffle me completely. You normally get at this stage of the season, from especially if you've seen if you've been to been to see a team in the round and seen them with your own eyes, and you watch them on TV. Obviously, you normally have a vague idea of how good they are and how good they could be. So, like Spurs, I'm pretty confident to say Spurs look like they, they're a pretty good side this year. They they kind of they know what they're doing. They've got a plan. They'll have some setbacks. United, no idea whatsoever. Why? Sometimes you look at them and you, well, sometimes it's the it's the extremes, and I, I know what you mean. You don't want to kind of say one week they're amazing, one week they're terrible. But you see them sometimes. You think, yeah, they've really got something here. They've I, got some. They're building something. It looks good. And then you see them again, even within the course of one game against Wolfsburg on Wednesday. They played played. They started really badly. Then they played really well for kind of half an hour, and then they were awful for most of the second half. And it's just it's baffling. I, I'd feel better about. United's long-term prospects if Van Hal were 20 years younger or if he were like sort of committed to, to staying for another three, four years because then you could see he's building towards something. My fear would be if, and I know he's been sort of coy about whether he's going to go uh, a, a year from now as he promised his uh, his wife, but I, I'm just wondering, you know, you're, you're trying to develop Memphis and, and Martial and, 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 and others 
and you're going to get the benefit of Shaw when he comes back. And I look at this and I wonder, well, what if a new guy comes in with a different set of ideas? No, but you know? I, you see, I'm, I'm surprised you say that, Gab, because I, Van Hal is is a slightly eccentric character, but I do believe him when he says he has that future in mind and that he he's trying to show Ryan Giggs the way and that they are building the team together it's not just him this huge okay. ego at the helm he's thinking about I'm, I'm, it I'm, no 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 I'm not suggesting it doesn't I'm, matter that he's old listen I'm, 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 I'm not blaming Van Hal at all but I'm saying is I would feel safe if I were United I feel safe about this being a project that's going somewhere with these players with Van Hal as my manager if you're telling me that in under two years time Van Hal goes away and Ryan Giggs takes over even with these same players and I know he's there on the sidelines you know learning or whatever but, you know, there are issues of, of personality, there's issues of experience and so on, and you're taking, you're making a huge leap in the unknown. And also, it's one thing if, if United win the title of the Champions League this year and they do it again next year, and everybody's on board and, and, and there's an area, there's a, there's a sense of confidence or whatever else, and you feel better about the apprentice gigs taking over. But if we have two years of work in progress, of finishing third and fourth, of, you know, Martial, Memphis, though they're improving, and you know, but the best is yet to come because these guys are still very young, and then Giggs is thrown in there, I, I don't know. I, to me, that's, that's a big question mark. If they don't win the title under Van Gaal, Giggs isn't the next manager. Well, there you said it. Does anybody think they'll win the title under Van Gaal in the next two years? What's the percentage chance of that? Over the next two years? It's possible. It it's is possible, possible. Not, not, not this season. It's possible next season. That raises a lot of questions. But equally, the fact that we're sitting here, they've spent all that money, Van Gaal's got th- this incredible and deserved reputation, and we're sitting here saying, oh, well, they, they won't win it this season, they'll win it next season. United aren't really a club. They're not like Liverpool or Arsenal or City. Well, no, City I suppose they're more, they're the, only, the only real parallel is Chelsea. United shouldn't be building towards next year or the year after. They should. United, the, the amount of money they've spent and the reputation he's got... You want immediate results, basically. You give him a year to kind of get his feet under the table. But this season, that they need, and that's what's disappointing about them, is that they don't look yet like they have made huge strides towards where he wants them to be. Well, let's uh, move on to Chelsea and Southampton. Um, I was at this game, and it was quite remarkable. It wasn't just a defeat, but it looked felt like things had really turned at the end. There was an annoyance. I mean, there were, there were some boos, but there was a sense that some blame was, was being shifted, not so much on the players, but squarely on the manager. And he came out afterwards, and he, he gave this sort of seven-minute answer to one question. It's on YouTube, if you missed it, where he sort of went all over the shop. He blamed referees for being afraid to give decisions. I mean, Alison, you're a qualified referee. I'm afraid uh, all the time. Exactly. You live, in, you live in terror. He talked about how he was the best manager in Chelsea's history, which... Which is true. I suppose he might have a claim to that. He talked about how he wasn't going to walk away, how they would need to sack him. But he added to that, like, oh, and if the club does that, it shows that, you know, it shows that kind of they're, they're back with their old line of thinking, like, oh, bad results, blame the manager. Which is kind of funny because that's sort of how he got his job in the first place, when he replaced a guy who had finished second and reached the Champions League semi-final in the same year. But what really struck me was he talked about how fragile his players were right now. One little player and they collapse. One little problem and they collapse. Well, and he's not being consistent about that because that, 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 that of all the weird things he said, that's the thing that really riled me because his pre-match press conference was that he knows best that he has real men at his club who can handle the group criticism he gives. He's... He's big on having a go at a player in front of the other players because that's not humiliating them. That is making sure that the player who might play in that player's position learns from it. He said he won't have um, sports psychology. They're clearly a team in need of some sort of 
Steve Peters type. Oh no, not with the sports type of thing. They're, they're in need of something. Time, they're in yeah. need of something. No, he says no. Go we on. don't do that. We don't do that here. Okay, fine. Well, what about what about the idea that if you have a go at your players openly in a group setting and tell them how rubbish they were, that that makes them more nervous for the next game because you can do that sort of thing when you're winning, but you can't do it when you're losing because you just build on the the problems. He doesn't seem to have a second gear, Mourinho. He's dropped the kind of siege mentality, like angry, everyone's against us, this kind of public shaming approach. You know, if it's, he's very, he's into, he will blame players for individual mistakes leading to goals. There's no kind of sense that it's a collective responsibility. It's all kind of, you were out of position, that's your fault. That's how he encourages the players to take responsibility. Which, 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 which is, to him, is, is often the case. Yeah, I mean, no, it is, and it's, like, and it's fine, know. and that's kind of his, that's his thing. And the players know this. Yeah, and look... But it's you, easier when you're winning, you, but you, overall. You can't, everything's easier when you're winning overall. Exactly. But you, you, can't, you can't fault him for that approach, because it has worked for him right. for more than 10 years. It worked, that approach. What's really interesting about this whole situation, which none of us saw coming, which is to an extent inexplicable, although there are theories as to why, speculative theories as to why it might be happening... But what's really interesting is that he, he is unable to change that. He can't put down the stick. He can't look at his... He has been thus far unable, rather yeah, than he yeah, yeah. is unable. Yeah, he, thus far, there is no sign that he is able... That he, he, he has looked at it and thought, right, the, the thing that has worked really well for me for 10 years isn't working at this point in time. What do I need to do differently? Well, he, he, he looks to me like he's kind of scrabbling around, trying to think, right, what can I possibly do? Because the Mourinho thing isn't working for the time being. It might work again in the future. But for the time being, in this situation, it is not working. So I, I read and, and, and you hear think people suggesting that, you know, he's done that mythical thing. He's lost the dressing room. I have to say, and had the opportunity to speak to two players in the last two weeks, and they both deny that. It's more like we know him, we know his flaws. He makes mistakes and then he finds a way out. And it's just that sheer bad luck that he's had these things over and over again. But he's certainly not going to bat for his players the way he's always done in the past, mm. even when they've been bad. And I, and I find that surprising because we had, well, we've had Hazard in midweek, we've had Terry being dropped, we've had Ivanovic, who no matter how badly he plays is always there. And, it, and I've had a very interesting explanation for this, which is that he doesn't want to drop Ivanovic because that means playing Aspilicueta at right back. And when Aspilicueta goes to the right, he doesn't just sit and defend, which he does very, very well, but he attacks and Mourinho likes his defenders to sit. And equally, Baba Rahman on the left will, will, will attack and he doesn't want that. He's had all these remarkable things, and then he goes after Matic. And, and he can say it's not a humiliation, but he's been in the game. First you drop the guy, then you bring him on at halftime. And all right, you concede another goal, but then he's the guy who goes off. You know, not Oscar, who you've treated like, you know, the, 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 the sick puppy dog until then, but Matic. And, and frankly, I think the third goal, probably to some degree, had Matic been on the pitch. What's he doing? This is, this is so unlike Mourinho, not just because of the losing, but and, and he's had crises before. He's had bad spells. Not he's, not 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 this bad. That no, but he's out. had spells that sh- you know certainly that at Real Madrid, when he had a, a portion of the dressing room against him, he dealt with it differently. Um, you know, he didn't go after them in public when they were screwing up. But, and at Inter Milan, when you know they they had a twelve point lead, which then turned into a one point deficit, you know, and and he was rowing with everybody. Again, he didn't handle it. He always he always stuck by his players steadfastly. There was something that was said to me when he first came back, which was that something about him has changed at Re- something about Jose Mourinho changed at Real Madrid, and it's very speculative and it's very kind of almost conspiracist. But you you do wonder whether the experience with Casillas and Ramos at Real Madrid, in particular, has coloured his view a little bit of the loyalty of players. He did have a third season at Porto because he only took over 
halfway through in his first year and in the third season they did exceptionally well they they, they won the Champions League and they won the league his third season at Chelsea it's not so much that he won the League Cup and, and whatever else it's the fact that that was the season that Abramovich decided hey don't you want Andrei Shevchenko of course you do and then Shevchenko became the great scapegoat but there's no question Shevchenko messed things up for Mourinho he obviously didn't have a third season at Inter Milan and his third season around Madrid it all fell apart but frankly the seeds of that were there in earlier, even in the 100-point season. As I say, it's not a pattern, but there is the shade of a pattern there. There's no question about that. Porto, fine, you can you can have that one, not bothered. Chelsea, he got sacked in his sort of third-and-a-half season. But fourth season. Fourth season, but the seeds of discontent, which Shevchenko was a major part of it, but there were problems with the players that started in the third season. Inter obviously only had two years, so that's fine. But then you speak to the manager who went into Inter afterwards and he will point out that the uh, the players were pretty much exhausted because a lot of what Mourinho does is about the short term. And that's fine. That's not a criticism. Yeah. He he has been to every club and obviously in Real Madrid it did fall apart in the third year, although the results were pretty good. They finished 15 points behind in the third year. Yeah, but then it was an exceptional Barcelona. I'm, try- I'm trying to be balanced, Jab. As I say, it's not a pattern. It's, it's too simplistic to say Mourinho can't do a third season. But... He has never had to, or never chosen to, I suppose, try and do what he's doing at Chelsea, which is to build something new again. And it, you do wonder, and it's only wondering, whether maybe after a while the constant siege mentality, the constant kind of hard-ass kind of stick driving thing, that was an unfortunate turn of phrase, um, yes. whether that starts to not not work, but not have the same effect as it used to. Well, he's, no, but Mourinho, and Mourinho agrees with you, Rory. He, he, he has said that. When there was the whole... The whole <laughs> I remember him saying it. Google I agree it. With the whole Google The whole Google it thing was because people were being simplistic and suggesting that he has third season syndrome. And he was saying, no, 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 that's not true, not true. What's different? What I have no experience of is thinking much further ahead and trying to build a dynasty. He admitted he doesn't know how to do that. In Mourinho's defence, he's also, for all the people who are big on the spine argument, and I'm not, he's also without his first-choice goalkeeper, who happens to be one of the best in the world, and he's also without his star centre forward. And when Falcao plays and wears different coloured boots, it's it's pretty hideous. I thought he was absolutely terrible. I mean, he got bad service, but he wasn't good. And he wasn't helping the fact that his best player, Willie Ann, came off at, uh, at half-time and By was supposedly way, vomiting all over the place too. Willian is, is probably the only Chelsea player this season who's come out of it with any credit because Willian's been brilliant. Yes. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention... Wouldn't we? Southampton. Wouldn't we just? Wouldn't we just? There's a manager people should look at and say, that's how you managed. Week before, You'd... they'd won. They'd won. Koeman was livid. They, they had, they'd, they'd not done what he wanted. They'd won, but he wasn't going to pretend that it meant anything. Koeman, your brother from another mother. You do sort of look the same. I mean, oh my god! No, Tintin Rudd had no idea. I think you should apologise for that immediately, Dan. What? That's really harsh. Alison looks nothing like. No, Rudd. she doesn't. She looks like she could be a sister. She looks like 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 like, like Rudd, the... ruddy-faced Dutchman, Ronald Koeman. <laughs> you you both have the, the 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 fair Nordic hair, right? I mean, they're both and... blonde. That's it. Yes. Do all blonde people look the same to you? To those of us who who haven't been cursed by the blondness, yes. Sorry. That, think, that, think, believe it or not, that isn't why I admire Ronald Koeman. No, I, 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 I didn't imagine. I wouldn't even think, didn't think so. I mean, but no, I. I mean, he must be so pleased because that could, you know, you can imagine what we'd be saying if they'd been humiliated in the next match after he'd been so public in his criticism of of the team after a victory, and it just proved that. Um, and he was pleased after this victory because they'd executed what he wanted and they'd worked hard and they'd allowed their flair to show through. And he's quite right; it's a bit annoying when teams go to Stamford Bridge that they're not given the credit. It's all about, 
as Tony Pulis is. You know, you got to you got to say who it's about. Southampton could they be the fourth Champions League team? Again, this like the same with same way with Arsenal and the title, because it's such a. Ollie Kay described it in the paper today as the most the weirdest Premier League season in, for a long time. Thirty three percent. The um, City will City will be there. Arsenal will be there. United will be there. Three of them. Are, I would imagine Chelsea get the fourth. Well, they might not finish fourth, but it will be the same top four as always. Chelsea will recover. If they don't, Southampton probably as well placed as anybody. Maybe West Ham, Palace, Leicester. Since Spurs, oh, Spurs, Spurs. <laughs> yeah. I'd say Spurs are right. a better place than Southampton. Okay, since Mourinho is the alpha and the omega, and we started with him, we need to finish with him. I mean, he said that they're going to finish fourth. Chances that Mourinho... Oh, no. What? Not another bloody percentage. About? Mourinho, the Chelsea okay. manager. Chances that he doesn't finish out the season. Bearing in mind that the alpha in the room is this enormous contract, and he'd have this like absurd what like £30 million compensation coming his way. Given that we're about to move on to Liverpool, I suspect, I think one of the interesting things about Liverpool is the timing, which you wonder might be because they have an inkling that another big job is about to come up and they might miss out on their first-choice target. I think there's a 90% chance that Mourinho finishes the season, but the fact that there's a 10% chance he doesn't is fairly... You put it that high, 10%. Wow. Alice, I know you don't like percentages. Would you like to weigh in? 33 Right, moving on to one of, it's inevitably a big story when one of the uh, biggest clubs um, in the world uh, decides to uh, sack their manager uh, on a Sunday. I said, this is something that we saw coming, right? I mean, Dick Advocat was always going to. <laughs> okay, no, no, that's unkind. Sorry, Sunderland fans. Okay, it was something that a lot of people saw coming, and I think a lot of people spontaneously asked the question, why did it happen at the end of the season, given that Liverpool were just as bad in their last, uh, I think, 12 games in all competitions at the end of last season as they were in their first 12 games at the start of this season. Why did they wait until now to sack Brendan Rodgers, in your opinion? And had he won the Derby 6-1, would he still be in a job? No. Uh, they might have delayed it a week, but uh, no, no. What, I think, so they could I think, sack him in the middle of the in the middle yeah, of the international give, break. Give him a couple of days, but no, no. I I suspect because there's no there's no logical reason for sacking him now, rather than um, straight after the six one defeat to Stoke, which would have made perfect sense. The Fenway Group they they are very sensitive to the mood of fans and to the idea that they've lost the fans, that the fans are cross with them. They don't like that at all. They, don't, they just don't like it. And as soon as you get booze at Anfield and all the phonings are full of Scouse accents saying uh, Rodgers is a joke, he's not He's not good enough for Liverpool, we're a great club and he's he's ruining our legacy, they haven't got, I don't know what you want to call it, guts or or whatever, to, to stand up to that. They are they are not, they don't like that at all. And that, that was the minute you knew right. it was that's, over. That's a really interesting point Alison makes. Do you think, what carries more weight, do you think? I mean, I know you know these people a little bit. Is it the Scouse accents on the phone-ins, or is it the accents, primarily Scottish ones, but not just Scottish ones, <laughs> of ex-players, ex-Liverpool players, sort of sniping across the media? Because I know, I, I've been told that that's one of the things that Brendan doesn't really appreciate. Both of those are factors. I don't think John Henry sits in Boston listening to 606, uh, although it is obviously as Alison... Okay. But does he listen in Boston, listening to I think they become, Graham Souness and Steve Nicholl? I think and, they become aware that there is a groundswell of opinion, both from former players, from fans. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And from outside observers that things are not going well. But ultimately, I think what's done for Rogers, partly I think it's, it's his attitude towards the recruitment committee and the model that FSG have. There was, there was been, there's been tension for an awfully long time over the fact that he, he was kind of accepting these players who weren't his first choices. He wasn't objecting to them coming in, but then he was basically killing them as soon as they arrived, not refusing to play them. People like Markovic, who were signed for a lot of money, just didn't play him every time it, it didn't work out. Not just Markovic, but every, you know, every time that Markovic didn't score in the first half, he was substituted off. There was a, an ultimatum delivered to Rodgers in, in December last year that he either played these players more or perhaps he might need to find another job, which he responded to by playing them more. So I think that was a, the, the tension between the way Rodgers wanted to work and the way that FSG want the club to be run was a factor. I think the complete absence of a style of play was probably quite important. I was at the derby yesterday. I've never seen a less functional midfield. It was quite remarkable. I think anyone with even the slightest interest in football will be able to tell you that there was no obvious... That Rodgers wasn't building towards something. He kept talking about, we need to build something, we need to build something after the game yesterday. There's no sign that he was building anything. If you if you lose because you have a plan and it doesn't work, that is completely different to losing because you don't have a plan. It's better to lose because your plan doesn't quite click. I say Arsenal happens quite a lot with Arsenal. Not having a plan at all is basically unforgivable. I think that right. was a factor. So do we think he doesn't have a plan or do we think he has a plan but he's incapable of conveying it to the players? Which well, I think is, is, is slightly different. Yeah, no. Uh, the players, by all accounts, weren't... I don't think he'd lost the dressing room in that sense and the players all broadly like him. I think that maybe the, the message hadn't quite been getting through for whatever reason, whether that's his delivery, whether that's because the players had just been sort of enveloped in this sense of kind of... The message? Yeah. So what, what do you I think th- the message I think, was I think the message, I think that was the problem. I think the message was, was becoming confused because he... The best example of what Rod, the last year of Rodgers' Liverpool reign was the Villa semi-final when he played three, three formations in 45 minutes. And that, that is the mark not of a manager who can tinker with his team in the middle of a game and make a difference tactically. It's the, man, it's the mark of a manager who doesn't know what to do. OK, so, but then the obvious question, though, why didn't they make this change, as Alison said, last spring? Uh, Mike Gordon, the president of, uh, of FSG, uh, who is the man who has most sort of impact on, from that side on, the, on footballing matters, thought Rodgers could, could turn it round. Based on what? Who, who, can you tell us a little bit about him? Who is he? Mike Gordon, I think, is... Yeah, he's, the, he's part of FSG. He's an investor in the club. I think he's the second largest shareholder now. But he is the, the man who is there. He's their eyes and ears on the ground. He's the, he lives in Liverpool. Uh, I don't know if he lives in Liverpool. He's certainly in Liverpool more often than John Henry. Uh, he's supposed to be the, the member of FSG that knows most about soccer, yes. isn't he? Yes, he's big into analytics and all that, which is fine. That's modern and, and forward-thinking. Him and Ian Eyre, certainly in the summer, were the two big backers of Rogers, saying he will get this right. The, the view from America, as I understand it, was slightly more cynical and a bit more worried. Gordon and Ian Eyre persuaded them to give him more time. Uh, according to Tony Barrett, uh, who knows more about this than any of us, the defeat at home to West Ham a month ago, whenever it was, that crystallised opinion. And from that point on, there has been an awareness that Rogers, Rogers okay. was not going to be able Did to he turn limp- it around. I, you see, I wonder if maybe Rogers limped along a bit because 
Mike Gordon might have been having quite a nice time with quite a lot of control, quite a lot of power, knowing that Rogers didn't really have the aura or personality to to, to contradict him, and he was enjoying the strings of in getting involved without any responsibility. Possibly, I don't know. I couldn't comment on mm. Mike Gordon's motivations. The one thing I, I do want to say... Mike, if you're listening to this and you care to come on the podcast, just, just let us know. I one, was unfamiliar with Mike Gordon before today. The but. one thing I want to say about Liverpool, they have this recruitment committee, which will get a lot of stick in the next few days because people don't Can like things. Can we call things. it a transfer committee? That's what I've been calling it until recently. People don't like it when things have a new name. Uh, basically, every club in the world has a manager and a few scouts and a chief executive. And what they do when, when they want to sign a club, when, when they want to sign a player, is talk about it. And that is what Liverpool's transfer slash recruitment committee is. Uh, it's not a new idea; it's just a new name. There's no reason to be sceptical of it. There's no reason that it can't work. What I would say is that Liverpool have done; they've half-assed everything. So they they want to be analytical. They want to be kind of running the numbers and looking at the figures. I don't think they have any. They they need a person who properly understands which figures tell them what. I think that yeah. is the problem. Well, it's the age-old issue with uh, with analytics. There's a lot of very important analytics. It's very good and useful. Something they do very well mm-hmm. at right. Southampton. All right, it's an interesting narrative that, that you said that Mike, this Mike Gordon and Ian Eyre were were very intent on on keeping because. I'd heard a different narrative, which may be incorrect, uh, which was that he stuck around because they couldn't get somebody better. That may well be a factor, um, I guess, yeah. But, so now the question is, so you sack him now, mm-hmm. do they have somebody better actually lined up? I mean, do we believe that Klopp's been spoken to and it's simply in the next 24 hours Klopp will be coming in? Because to me, that, that, that seems like the logical thing, especially if you thought about West Ham. If, on the other hand, you sacked him because, oh, I've only realized now that you know he's short and we're not very good and whatever else, and so he's gone, that's not a good thing. Reading between the lines of the fact that Liverpool, it, it has come out of Liverpool that they will approach Jürgen Klopp. Clubs very rarely approach let somebody leak. without having approached him before. Let, know that. let that leak. Because, the, obviously, the problem is say, so the, there are three... There's Klopp, Ancelotti and Frank de Boer, probably in that order. The problem is, if you let, let it leak that Klopp is your first choice, and he says no, you then have to go to Carlo Ancelotti, who is a very proud, very handsome, very intelligent man, and enjoys ham. Uh, and you say to Carlo, we want you to be our manager, and Carlo quite rightly says, well, hang on, I've won three European Cups, why on earth am I your second okay. choice? And gets all annoyed. Right, well, can I say something? You can. I guarantee you, 1,000%. It's bigger than 33, isn't it? Yeah, it's bigger, yeah. It's, it's bit, Hang yeah. on, I'm really interested. I'm, I want to know what... what the, I mean, I don't know if Carlo Ancelotti is interested in the, in the Liverpool job or not, but whether he is, it's kind of not going to have anything to do with whether they approach Klopp. He doesn't mind being second choice Carlo. He just looks at it in terms of, is this job right for me? Would I enjoy working okay. there? And so on. So, you know, that, that argument, that whole ego thing, that no, might work with somebody else. Well... Well, well, you're barking up the wrong tree. No, no, no. With I'm this not, guy. It's, it's not a criticism of Carlo. I'm saying that. No, the, no, I'm not, it's not a criticism. Some if, people are like that. That's fine. But if the club, if Liverpool but if, if think, the club, and also, I might add, if the club think like that, we need to be careful because we don't want to upset Carlo's potential sensibility. You know, like then they really have no freaking clue about the people that they're approaching. If the club think that, I'm assuming, you have a, I'm assuming you're saying this because somebody's told you this through your no, reporting no, this, or whatever. No no, 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 no. This is me reading between the lines of, of, of okay. understanding how these things generally let me, let me work. Have, it's not if this true. is how it works in this case, then the club are being stupid. No, fine, maybe they are. But the point, the point <laughs> remains that if you you do not allow the fact you're going to approach a manager to leak. If you think that manager will turn it turn it down, he had a horrible season last year uh, at Borussia Dortmund. Now, several reasons for this. One of them was obviously way beyond his control, which was well. There's two aspects. One is 
he's obviously kept losing his best players year after year, Lewandowski and Goetz and whatnot. But he managed to weather those storms. But last season was especially horrible for him, partly because of they had an incredible rash of, of injuries, Kundogan, Kuba, Pichek, Hummels, Royce. But at the same time, though, what I find interesting, and this might set off some warning lights, Klopp made his name with the famed gegenpressing uh, or counterpressing, uh, which you can look it up what it means, but in a nutshell, it's a certain type of pressing where they play at a million miles an hour and try to win the ball back aggressively in certain areas of the pitch. The problem with that football is Klopp found that it's extremely tiring and extremely taxing on his players, and that while they could wheel out incredible one-off performances, and I don't know if they played Arsenal last year, absolutely devastating, you can't play that way every week. And so he spent part of last season figuring out a different way to play uh, against you know normal teams, teams with worse players that they should be playing more conventionally. And he really failed at that last year. That is the one thing that, you know, he, he strikes me as an intelligent person who's, who's obviously still evolving, but that would be one question mark. The other obvious question mark, and it ties back to your friends at the recruitment committee or whatever else, is that he got a lot of praise for Borussia Dortmund's recruitment, but he's always been very open in saying that this was a, a team effort with his director of football at the time, Michael Zork. Now, obviously, Zork's not joining him in, uh, in Liverpool because having too much fun in Dortmund. So... That's going to be something for Liverpool to address, should he be the first choice. What Liverpool need, and it's just a personal opinion, I might be wrong, is essentially a statement of intent, and that comes with someone like Klopp or Ancelotti. Even De Boer, I like Frank De Boer as a manager, but I think Frank De Boer would be wrong in this scenario. There is an element of, you need someone, from, from a factionalised situation, you need someone who can inspire unity, and I think there is a risk that if you went for Gary Monk or Koeman or Schmidt... Someone who is a lesser name, who is not associated like Klopp or Ancelotti with immediate success, there is a risk that you would not solve that factionalization and you would then have problems. What, what, what I find very curious about, about this is that I'll give you Ancelotti because he's kind of, that's obviously one of the things that he's known for. But Rafa Benitez, for example, is a guy who factionalizes. I'm not saying Rafa Benitez is <laughs> <only political, laughs> obviously, right? And he's a great manager. Would you not want Rafa Benitez because then he'd create factions? In the context of Liverpool now, I think Rafa would not be the right appointment. Or a Rafa type. I think Rafa, Rafa in the in two thousand and four was the exactly the right appointment. I think given what Liverpool need now, I think you, you to be honest, yeah. And it's not it goes against a lot of my thinking generally. I think you need a degree of fame. Actually, Liverpool for the first time ever in my lifetime are a bit of a laughing stock, and they need a manager with a great CV, an aura, and a belief, general non factionalized belief that this 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 man could be special. It almost doesn't matter if it's the wrong appointment. You need to somehow stop Liverpool looking deeply average and slightly embarrassing. There's another team that, that changed your manager, Sunderland. Dick Avocat is is out. Again, this looked to many like a slow motion car crash. There were questions about one day, whether he wanted to be there. Personally, he looks to me like an older quick fix manager um, at this stage of his career, and that's what he was. And the, the, somebody was throwing Bob Bradley's name around, who's doing very well, a guy you know well, of course, former. Like Bob? Egypt coach um, and U.S. men's national team coach. Shame he went to Princeton, but I suppose a lot uh, of people have dark Ivy hearts. lead banter. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. On the surface, as I look at this, you get the right guy in, kick some rear end. There are some bad teams in the Premier League. One of them is a few miles down the road from uh, uh, from Sunderland. It's not impossible that they stay up, right? It's early enough in the season, and it's certainly worked the last couple of years, right? Well, they're used to it, aren't they, in Sunderland? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe if he'd stuck at it, it would have been fine in the end. I, I, 
we've we've said before on this podcast the problem with Sunderland is it's Sunderland is that they have accepted their fate and they regard it as a success to just evade relegation and by the skin of the teeth and that's fine and they need to work out how to be more than that Um, and this by the way i think we read it applies to a lot of clubs in the premier league you know how do we who are we what how do we keep people coming back and the cup runs accept that accept that accept that and the idea that you appoint appoint somebody now like sam allardyce who has um a good record of avoiding disaster he would i think if sam allardyce came in tomorrow he would make sure the team and, and sound- so would so would a whole clutch of other managers be able to do that. There is, it's a big enough club with a fan base that, that, that they stop walking out at a certain point and start getting very excited when they can see that they might escape relegation. It's bizarre. So it- you could do it, you could do it, but is this the moment? Is this the moment where they decide who are we, what are we, how do we how do we stop being a mess? And it might mean that they have to go, they have to bring in somebody local with local roots someone with a feeling for the club who's prepared to take them down and build them bring them back up no one dares do that anymore so yes i think they will appoint somebody who is capable of allowing them to avoid relegation and then we will be having the same conversation this time next year be good if if allardyce got it and then sunderland and west brom went down because then we would have no more certainties left, would we? Just the two great certainties in English football are that Allardyce and Pulis know how to avoid relegation. And as much as I don't really want either of them to go down, I like both clubs a lot. It would be quite funny if both of those managers got relegated in one season. What would, what would we say? Who would, who would relegation-threatened clubs turn to if Pulis and Allardyce had both been relegated? Yeah, no, I, I'm not going to put you in the spot either by asking you which teams you want to see go down. I don't want. Well, I don't you want, want to see anybody, anybody, anybody go down. Want so you're to go way too nice. Nice thing about Allardyce is you wouldn't need to keep Lee Congerton either, because of course he'd be director of football and head of recruitment and coach and manager and chief executive rolled he'd, into one. He'd do the cooking. Um, I think Allardyce is very flexible at West Ham. He's not this ogre people paint him as. I'm not suggesting he's an ogre, but one of the reasons I think he had some issues at West Ham was that the owners wanted to do things their way in terms of transfers and he wanted to do things his way and but which so- is the way he's always done them and he's been moderate you know he's been quite successful at it but do you think now that Allardyce because I've, I've I've met Sam Allardyce and I have to say like in in that private setting and what was the private setting uh it was a mini cha- golf no 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 did you no. go swimming with him what did you go swimming with him no, 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 no. It was a, it was a charity do where celebrities like myself That's and, not private. and Big Sam. Well, no, because you spent a lot of time together. Where we um we basically we we went paragliding. For we had a little little competition. Julian Clary and Tim Montgomery were there as well. And uh, Tim, Mon- Tim Montgomery from the from the times, podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't one of the celebrities. No, he just he, he was just, a, just an amateur paragliding well, happened exactly. to be there. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's a really bright guy. Yeah, he's yeah. he's surprising. Two things struck me: surprisingly bright, and he's surprisingly tall. I know, Very obviously, tall. he's Big Sam, so he must be tall. But I'm not used to, you know, people being as tall as I am or taller. It happens occasionally, but it's slightly unsettling, right? Yes, exactly. That's, that's why I find Rory so unsettling. Um, the thing that always surprises me about Sam Allardyce is that he doesn't have a mustache. I always think yeah. he has a mustache. <laughs> I actually think he should grow it back. He did used to have a mustache. Of course he did, yeah. yeah. He should grow it back. Is like it, a, this blows my mind about how young Rory is, doesn't it, Alison? Like, like, a proper darling. We remember <laughs> Big <laughs> Sam with a mustache. No, that's not what I mean. It's not, not, to do, be, it's not, not because I'm older to remember as a player, but because I remember him as a manager with a mustache. It's not to do with but... youth. Honestly, you're in a weird mood. Uh, the thing about Sunderland is that it's not to do with the manager or who the sporting director is or any of that. The club completely lacks purpose and that is their problem until they solve that solve that and develop some sort of identity, whether that's 
as a selling club, as a you know team full of youth, youth team players or a specific philosophy or whatever, then this will keep happening. And as, as Alison says, we will continue having this conversation because when you exist just to exist, this is what happens. Okay, enough of that. Managers coming and going. Let's talk. Let's do some quick hits. Who's excited? And Rory's eating his thumb, so neither of you is excited for this. But frankly, I'm here to keep the energy levels up. <laughs> Rogers' departure inevitably overshadows the Merseyside derby. Uh, but Allison, let's talk Everton. What did you make of their performance? I was disappointed, actually. I thought Liverpool were there for the taking, and there was an element of being scared to lose the game. Um, Lukaku was boisterous and bullying, and I don't quite know why he... Well, he didn't drift out. I mean, Rory was there, but it, it, it seemed to me he, he could have he could have taken a stranglehold on that game, and he didn't. Uh, sympathy, though, Everton were without uh, three choice defenders and uh, patched up to an extent. I expected more from them. Sergio El Kun Aguero scores not one, not two, not three, not four, but five as City destroy hapless Newcastle and reclaim the top spot. Rory. This is your chance to have some fun. You can play the game where you tell me which centre forwards in the world, and using the traditional centre forward definition, i.e. not Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, if any, you would swap Aguero for. So I think there's two that you can make a case for, uh, and they are Robert Lewandowski of mm-hmm. Bayern Munich Football Club and Luis Suarez of Barcelona and Uruguay. But there won't be much in it. I think you can maybe take, make a case for Benzema as well, possibly. But that that'll be about it. Aguero is is one of the yeah one of the best four proper centre forwards in in world football. No question about that. Speaking of Newcastle, it's another horror show for Steve McLaren. Between injuries and players just generally stinging it up, he's having no luck. Allison, if you were Mike Ashley, you would be a man, which you're not. But let's just imagine you had Mike Ashley's job and you owned the club and you were responsible for Sports Direct and you sold high-quality merchandise at value prices to consumers. How much longer would you give him? Like, would he have to be out of the relegation zone by, say, Christmas? I would, first of all, turn my attention to my Sports Direct wholesale outlet bit, which is being investigated for having a poor health and safety record. Then I would turn my attention to... The management. I suspect he gets on with McLaren, and I think McLaren says the right things, and I think McLaren will cling to his job beyond Christmas by saying the right things. I wouldn't judge them on being torn apart by Aguero. You look at their starting eleven, and there are some really good players, and if he can instil a bit of grit and purpose, which he claims to know that's what he needs to do, then I think he might be all right. Would you keep him even if they go down? Even if they go down? Yeah. If I liked him enough, I would, yeah. In midweek, the Football Association cleared Jose Mourinho of making discriminatory comments towards former club doctor Eva Carnero. Uh, Roy, can you explain their, their mindset and their explanation and why it is, or maybe is not relevant, that they failed to interview her? Well, it's obviously, I, I would say, and Eva Carnero in the statement she released last week obviously concurs, uh, that it's a bit weird that there were two people directly involved in the incident and they didn't apparently speak to either of them. That strikes me as being very strange. Uh, it's a fudge. I think it's a fudge. It was difficult to be certain exactly what was said because of the, there's one term in Portuguese that he might have said and there's another term in Portuguese that he might have said and one of them might have been sexist, the other one wasn't. And even if the one that was sexist was the one he'd said, is it sexist or is it kind of just what they say? It's right. difficult to say. Tottenham battle to a 2-2 draw with Leicester as Christian Eriksen scores his first two goals since April. Alison, we know you, like me, have a soft spot for the Danish maestro, who was maybe even a bit Laudrup-like on the day. 
Can an Ericsson firing on all cylinders be the difference maker for the Poch this year? No, I don't think that's going to be the difference. He's, he's clearly a, a, a very talented player and uh, takes a mean free kick. But just as last season, having an on-fire Harry Kane wasn't enough to bring silverware or something wonderful to Spurs. It's not about that with Pochettino, having one individual who happens to have an outstanding season. He, he His group dynamic has to work and... Uh, the thing that he's moaned about most so far this season, which has been an OK season so far, is that they're not quite clinical enough. It's just not quite clicking, not quite converting possession into uh, goals. And that's... OK, Ericsson will get the odd free kick and, 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 and avoid a defeat where they maybe should have got more out of a game. It's not about the individual. It's about... It's just about that sense of... Believing they can win. I don't know. Think about Spurs, where they sort of wobble when they shouldn't wobble. And then when they play beautifully, they wobble for some reason. So it's not about one player at Spurs. It's just about Pochettino somehow. And maybe he needs to be tougher. I don't know. They're a bit annoying. Because I don't believe in this strange concept called goal difference, and I don't think there's such a thing, um, I can say that Leicester City, Crystal Palace are both joint fourth in the Premier League. And both won at the weekend. Rory, who would you rather talk about and who's going to finish higher? Uh, I think Palace will probably finish higher. Uh, I think they're probably a better all-round side. They're also set up to play on the counter-attack, so they'll, they'll always do well away from home. But uh, I would also like to give a nod to Leicester. We mentioned before the thing, the weird thing about how if you haven't won lots of leads everywhere, then there's this kind of belief that you're not good enough to manage in the Premier League. Claudio Ranieri doesn't win many leads, but he is without question, having worked at Roma and Juventus and Inter and, Roma and Valencia, he is without question good enough to manage Leicester. And I think he is proving that amply this season they will be absolutely fine Leicester and I'm delighted by it he's finished second in the league at th- at least three different yeah he clubs. does like finishing second but he trophies they're able to few I, th- I think Leicester would be happy with second I think they'd probably take yeah, it yeah I think yeah. they'd settle this year uh, Diab one for you De Classica the Madrid derby Le Classique and um, Milan versus Napoli uh, why were there so many top games on the same day this weekend and what happened there's many top games this weekend because the top leagues don't collude with each other to go and spread things out um, and I absolutely hate it because it becomes difficult, even if you own multiple televisions, to keep track of everything at the same time. Their classic Borussia Dortmund got, I mean, Bayern wiped the floor with them basically 5-1. He dropped Marco Royce, uh, and while I was hoping for some Tuchel time, it didn't happen. Bayern are just way, way too good. Thomas Muller is scary. Uh, your mate Rafa Benitez took the lead in the Madrid derby. Then Keylor Navas saves a penalty and he decides, well, you know what, I think I'll, I'll hang on for the win and play on the counter. Of course, the penalty missed by uh, Fernando Torres. Maybe not the wisest choice because Atletico came back to draw 1-1. Also pretty evident when you take off Benzema instead of Cristiano, you know, you kind of you kind of know who, who ultimately runs things at the, uh, at the Bernabeu. Uh, Le Classique, Paris Saint-Germain overcoming Marseille 2-1. Slatan Ibrahimovic now the all-time leading goal scorer in the history of Paris Saint-Germain with 110 goals, which I know sounds pretty lame, but you have to realize that Paris Saint-Germain is marginally older than Rory K. Smith, having been formed in the 1970s. Uh, Milan and Napoli, again, I want to be make another Rafa reference, but Napoli absolutely ripped Milan to shreds. Lorenzo Insigne is playing out of his skin, as is Gonzalo Higuain. They beat Juventus last week, too. They win 4-0, their biggest ever victory in Milan. Napoli looked like the real deal. And again, they have a manager who, 15 years ago, was working as a cashier in a bank and who's old and chain smokes. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my guests today, Rory K. Smith and Alison Rudd, who did such an impressive job uh, in a, on a show when we had so much to pack in in so little time. 
Now, uh, you can press that subscribe button, uh, and if you do that, then we'll be back for you next week. You can get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search The Times online. Till next week, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away.